Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Can you hear me now? I can. You're sitting. You're sitting in a wonderful place. Out in a wonderful weather. I'm sitting in a in a. Uh, I don't know if you can see that. See that in the background there? Yeah, all the the ugly traffic. That's right. But that's the way it goes. That's I'm a Chicago. I'm a Chicago guy from Canada. Chicago from Canada. Actually, you you were originally from Canada. I grew up in Canada. Yeah. Let me, let, me just, let me just show you something here right now. Ah. Okay. Seriously. Yes. <laughs> Are you a Canadian citizen? Uh, no, I miss being born a Canadian citizen by two months. My parents moved from Owen Sound, Ontario to Chicago. My mom was from Chicago two months before I was born. And wow. then I moved back to Canada. Six years later, I always tell people I may not have been born in Canada, but I'm pretty sure I was conceived in Canada. <laughs> well, otherwise, you were immaculately conceived. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, welcome to another uh, edition of Theology on Mission podcast. And it's just me today, everybody. Everybody, I don't know if you're disappointed with that, but Holzclaw's not here. Holzclaw had some very important meetings to go to. So it's just me, and today we have a special guest, Alan Hirsch. And uh, he's written a very important and very new book called 5Q, Reactivating the Original Intelligence and Capacity of the Body of Christ. Alan, so good to have you here and to talk to you about this book and this project. And I, I think it's I think it's actually more than that. I think it's your whole oeuvre. But introduce yourself. Uh, you probably don't need any kind of an introduction. Let me just say this. Alan Hirsch is a man whom I love as a brother in Christ, a fellow collaborator for the gospel, for mission. Um, and he's doing all sorts of writing projects, speaking all over the world, teaching. I don't know. What, what else can I say about you, Alan? Anything else? <laughs> you're, 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 a good, you're a good husband to Deb. I am a good husband to Deb. Well, I try to be a good husband to Deb. Uh, and and uh, the feeling is, uh, by the way, reciprocated. I love you too very much. Uh, you're one of those mo most unique pieces of garlic in my life. And uh, <laughs> a theological garlic, lots of taste. We all need a you little. You bring the flavors out. We need a little theological garlic. We do, and pepper and lives. all kinds of things as well. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, it's great. It's great to be here with you, brother. Yeah, and I also want to say that we're all, now that Holzclaw's not here, I can say this, but he really screwed up the technology when we were on last time. Yes, he did. And it was lost, such a good podcast, too. And I we lost that really whole well. episode. I know. Hey, you know what? doesn't really matter because I got to spend another half hour with you. What could be better than that? So <laughs> let's start with, uh, with the book project, 5Q. And, you know, you've written about this fivefold gifting numerous times in your life, numerous ways. Forgotten Ways, there was a chapter in it there. Shaping of Things to Come, wasn't there? There was some stuff in there way back when in that book. Yes. Permanent Revolution. So it's been really part of your oeuvre since the beginning. Why another book about the fivefold? What prompted you to do this? And what's different about this one? Yeah, okay. I was, it, this book is as much a surprise to me as uh, it might be to anyone else, because you're right. Uh, the idea of 5Q... Uh, oh, sorry, the, what I, I've always called APS to the fivefold has been an element of uh, just about everything I've written. Uh, 
the only one book which becomes a major focus uh, is, of course, The Permanent Revolution. But that book was, of course, where we talked about Apest in as a context for really a discussion of the apostolic gift uh, because we feel that that was the most unarticulated of all the fivefold giftings. And uh, we, we really didn't have anything exploring the nature of, of apostolic ministry. Um, so this one, uh, I started, Dave, as a, an attempt. I've become fascinated over the years with using the fivefold as a, um, as a, as a model for uh, organizational functionality, looking at organizations through the lens uh, of the fivefold. Um, prior to this, um, I've always focused on the role of individuals or uh, what I call vocational identity. Um, that is, how, how does the fivefold impact us personally as, as um, ministers of Christ? Um, but um, I'd never really looked at it uh, as an organizational, uh, through an organizational lens, and I don't think it has been looked at organizationally in any other writings. So the book started out, um, I wanted to write an assessment um, looking at organizations through the fivefold, and um, I wanted to write the book just as an accompaniment to the uh, online assessment, which has been written, by the way, and, and is uh, currently available. Um, and it was just um, going to define the basic ideas for, for users and, uh, and to pay, perhaps explain how to use the test and all that stuff. But as, uh, as I got involved in it, it just got deeper and deeper in, in a way that I was genuinely surprised. Um, um, well, first and foremost, uh, I wanted to look at the backdrop of uh, Firefold uh, in, in, uh, in creational orders um, and um, uh, in, 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 in the world, uh, and, uh, because these things, of course, precede the, the church, uh, the very language of Apest, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher, uh, uh, is um, established within um, in, uh, the common vocabulary, and therefore the functions were prior to the church. And I'd always believed that they were part of the creational order, uh, but I'd never really substantiated that. So I think I, uh, Tim and myself, spend about a page on it in, in the permanent revolution. Um, it's not dismissing it, but I never really looked at that, Dave. And so um, what I wanted to do is to, to, to look deeply into the, um, uh, to where these things come from. Uh, now, archetypes, of course, are patterns. Um, um, they are recurring patterns and ideas that um, form the backdrop of most human history of culture, there are recurring ideas in history, culture, uh, heroic forms. So all our heroes are embodiments of value. Uh, so I want to look at our heroes and how do they exemplify these five functions. Uh, and then, um, and 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 it just got deeper and deeper in that score. And and then uh, from there it went into looking at where do these things come from, um, and we realised actually they come from the hand of God, um, they come from actually, they actually reflect something of the creator's person and his purposes in the world. So um, I then be proceeded to kind of build out something of a theology of Apist. And so it just got a whole lot deeper because once you ground it in the doctrine of God, uh, it, it gives a huge uh, theological resonance to, to the concept. Let me stop at this point because I'm just rambling. Yes. Yeah. 
But, well, um, uh, okay, so, so yeah, it's just go deeper and deeper. And so the book really uh, developed from there. So you're really in this book taking uh, what was um, something about the the personal identity and ministry aspects of a person's life and how that fits within the fivefold. You now went a whole new uh, level here. Now APEST is part of creational order. It's almost, there's a cosmology. Can I say there's cosmology. a cosmology? Yes. There's a cosmology to this. Yes. Yes. It's, built into, it's built into the very structure of the universe, you're saying. And yes. so we can see it playing itself out. Of course, you, you I think, go through um, you know, the, the character of God, his characteristics using the APIS language. You're, you go through a lot of the founding stories, the Genesis account of creation. You're fleshing this out across all these fields of, uh, I mean, it's quite, it's, it's quite an ambitious yes. project. Yeah, so, so, okay, so this, it is ambitious. Um, I didn't start out that way again. Uh, um, a lot of the, so a lot of responses to APIS, uh go like this. Well, it's, you know, it's, I, I think the Ephesians 4, uh, um, uh, the source of it, of course, the source of Apis thinking is primarily found in Ephesians 4, which I think is a very, very important and very prescriptive piece of, of, of Scripture. It's rooted in the ascension uh, and in, in his ascending to, to, yes. uh, to the Father. Um, uh, in his resurrection, he bequeaths fivefold to the church. It's very foundational. Yes. Uh, and and I think the church has avoided this, um, and I and even if it was only found there, it's not just found there, of course. But um, uh, it, it would be enough. There's 16 verses of scripture in a very important book on 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 the doctrine of the church. So for me, that was already there as a prescriptive text. And by the way, it's writ large through the book of Acts. I mean, all these functions are very very alive in in, in the book uh, of the book of the history of the early church, but. Most people dismiss it, saying, "Oh, yeah, well, it's only uh, you know, it's only a small passage." Um, and so, one of the things that be- begins to happen if you begin to think of it uh, in the way that I've tried to kind of frame it is that it becomes a hermeneutical key. In other words, you're using Ephesians as a key, Ephesians four as a key to understanding or reframing aspects of the doctrine of God. So we begin to uh, just reconsider how we might reformulate systematic theology along those lines, as well as, so it, it, it delves into theology, cosmology, uh, as I've, we've already mentioned, and what is really important for me is, the whole, and for both of us, we both look to Jesus as the center of the church. Uh, it really looks at Jesus differently too, because Jesus doesn't invent the apist ministry. No, I think they are founded in him. Uh, he actually takes them from the created order and recapitulates it or reconstitutes it in his life. And this is all recapitulation theory, by the way, which is well established in church theology, uh, and re- relives them and reconstitutes them in a way that um, uh, perfects them. And then he bequeaths it to the body of Christ. Now, this is also a new aspect, uh, Dave, um, in that um, I, I began to look at the body in a way that I'd never looked at it before. And, and 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 I would believe that uh, this is something quite unique in that uh, we usually think of it in terms of vocational identity, which is correct. I do think it gets to vocation, but before it gets to you and me and all the individuals in the body of Christ as individuals, it's actually embedded into the very fabric, into the very 
person, or uh, if I'm, we may use that word, of the church itself. The body of Christ is the recipient uh, of Christ's fivefold gifting uh, in the ascension. And, and so the whole body is alive with this latent capacity and, and ability, and then it's lived out in the lives of you and me. So we're at the far end of a process that began in the, doc, in the person of God, weaved through creation, recapitulated Christ, given into the body, expressed in the body in every sphere and domain, and then, of course, ex- uh, exemplified in individuals in certain times and places. So it's a very big idea. Yeah. So now I've always seen you, Alan, the difference between you and I. I and you correct me if I'm wrong. But I've always seen you as kind of like a, a common grace kind of reformed backdrop of a theologian kind of a guy, whereas I'm an Anabaptist, much more suspicious of common grace, create, uh, ground ethics or vocation and creation. Um, and, and so for me, there's the what we call the Feuerbach problem of we always end up because we're sinners reading ourselves into mm-hmm. God or reading our own ideas into the structure of the universe. And so in, in your, so, so a guy like me, an Anabaptist guy like me might go at you, a kind of common grace reform guy. I don't think that's quite a fair characterization, but just for the purpose of, you know, having fun here, uh, how do you avoid the theological faux pas of saying, hey, I discovered this really great thing that I'm just so excited about, the fivefold ministry, and now I'm going to read it into everything. <laughs> How do you avoid the faux pas of taking your own pet idea and reading it into everything? Yeah, yeah. so, okay, so it's interesting. Um, my, uh, well, uh, well, I, while I was trained Reformed, actually, I, I can hardly find much in myself that... Um, that is distinctly reformed anymore. I, I, I just, I, I feel like I don't belong in any particular school. There's a lot of Anabaptists in me too. I have a great respect for the Anabaptist tradition, but uh, in fact, I, I find myself, if anything, becoming more um, Wesleyan <laughs> as I get older. Uh, and also uh, quite influenced uh, more recently uh, in Catholic thinking. Yes, I know. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. that you know, so. We will get to that in a minute. So, so actually, uh, it's actually partly, uh, David, through von Balthasar has helped me in this because it was, um, and actually it was the Catholic understanding of the body of Christ. I mean, they go, I think, too far in becoming the mystical body and all that. They don't have to put that word in front of it. It doesn't have to get that kind of resonance. But here's the thing is they take the actual nature of the church itself very, very seriously. And I think that what this book picks up, which, by the way, is dedicated to von Balthasar, is I'm deeply respectful for him for helping me see what he calls the form of Christ in the world. Yes. That is the pattern of Christ, uh, uh, and and uh, and uh, and in his theological aesthetics helps us see uh, the patterns of Christ not only just in the Bible, but actually in our experience, but also in 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 the experience of the entire world. You can actually see um, something of uh, that um, that form as it recurs. It itself an archetype that recurs throughout all of creation. Um, and of course, as a, as a Catholic, he relies uh, particularly on the analogia enters, the analogy of being, which I think you as a Bartian, I think it's not so much, it's not so much your Anabaptist way that 
has a problem. It's more the Bartian early Bart didn't like the analogy of being at all. In right. fact, this is entirely, I think it's a mistake. And I think um, it's... So do I, by the way. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's really through an analogy of being. Now we're getting a little technical on this, that actually we can derive at what I'm coming at here. I love when um, we get technical on this stuff, you and me. <laughs> well, this, this is a podcast <laughs> for geeks like ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, uh, you know, so, so it's so beautiful uh, because uh, us Anabaptists, and I, I'm, I'm going to say that, um, you know, I'm not going to accuse you of being a Reformed Common Grace guy anymore. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but us Anabaptists, we, we so, some of us resonate with von Balthasar's understanding that, you know, it is Christ who reveals God in all things. Yes. And it is very, very Christ Christ. that we can locate the form of Christ in the world. And therefore, in Christ and through the church, we see the world differently. And we're able to, to discern what he's doing out there in the world. And I think that's where you're, you're going here with the von Balthasar stuff. Am I right yeah. there? Yes. So, so, in other words, if you look at Christ, and, and there's two chapters of Christology in this book uh, that ground it very much in the, in the person of Christ. I would argue that's the center of the whole system. Um, I've always looked to Jesus as the, as the kind of the, the, the founder and the originator of the church's ministry. But this book really looks at how we actually, he gives us, so first of all, it is all chapter on how the fivefold is exemplified in the life of Jesus. And then the, the image here is he bequeathed this to the church in its very founding. The whole body of Christ receives Christ's ministry into itself in its very, very nature and purpose. Uh, and so our functionality is birthed in the personal work of Christ. So it's very Christological. And I would argue that's the, the, it's, it's the Christological key that allows us to use it as a hermeneutical lens. It's, it's Christology, which has always been the hermeneutical key for the church and, 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 and for Anabaptists. Not so? Yes. No, this, uh, I agree. It's, it's that that's the key. And I would argue that it's, it's using the Jesus key here but you've got to see Jesus as the fulfillment of fivefold. So was Jesus an apostle? Oh, you betcha, the sent one, eternally sent by the Father. You know, the sentness qualifies him in every way. And then he called the apostle and high priest of our confession, the pioneer perfecter, whatever, he founds the movement. Is he a prophet? Oh, my, you know, he is the prophet, right? He's the word of God. Yes. Us, you know, he brings a new covenant. All the, the prophetic speaks against injustice, all that stuff. Yes, is he an evangelist? He's an embodiment. He is the good news. He's the embodiment of gospel. He came to seek and save the lost. It's as close to a purpose statement in the ministry of Christ that you can get. Is he, is he, is he a shepherd? He is the good shepherd. And he always was. You know, he's the one who creates the family of God, defends it uh, and with his life. Is he a teacher? He's the foundational teacher. So when you look at Jesus, it's all fully contained. And I would argue, as a typology of Jesus' ministry, it's it carries the code. You can look at Jesus fully in the light of the ape, uh, the fivefold, and it's all there. The only one that gets close to it is the ministriplex, the idea of uh, Jesus' prophet, priest, and king. But that one is only a threefold. This is a fivefold uh, analysis of the life, of, uh, a fivefold Christology, if you will. Yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, it's clear to me um, how you've been influ influenced by von Baldazar in this in this work, um, and and he's become a major theological voice to you. Uh, tell me what are some of the more other uh, voices 
that come out in this work, uh, theological voices that drive your thinking. Any Anybody else besides him? I know you've dedicated the book to uh, Von B, uh, but um, anybody else? I, uh, to be honest, other than yourself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, okay. uh, I... I I really, f- the whole thing of fivefold, I find um, that whole discussion uh, in terms of our theologians is almost missing entirely um, from our discourse. Uh, you, you struggle to find anything substantial written on it. Um, as Christ the Apostle, um, we, used, we tend to use missional language for that, and you, as you and I are both part of that movement. Um, you know, the word in the scriptures is apostello. Uh, the Latin word is missio. So I've been trying to switch over to the more biblical language on that for a while, but that's forbidden language in most of the church's discourse. So it's very, very far, hard to find anyone who uses the language in the way the Bible, the, the Bible itself uses that language. So that was hard to find. Prophetic, um, um, of course, uh, Abraham Heschel, you know, played yes. a very important role. Uh, in helping me understand the very nature of the prophetic person and personality, perhaps. And then um, um, uh, uh, prophetic imagination, Walter uh, Brueggemann, uh, of course, was very useful there. But, uh, you know, no one dominant. Uh, and von Balthasar is in the background of it, not so much uh, in the fore, because he doesn't really talk much about the fivefold. He does mention it a few places, as far as I was able to determine. Well, that's very interesting. Um, you know, um, Okay, so, so when it comes to you and me, uh, some people say, and I think they're right, that I make presence, the presence of God, the omnipresence and then the manifest presence of God central to the formation of the church in mission. And therefore, the practice of the table becomes this really important uh, uh, shaping of a people to know, discern his presence to therefore participate, respond in the world. Okay, I would say you make the fivefold ministry central. You make it the founding point, the central point, not only of uh, yeah. who I am and vocationally participant in God's mission, but who the church is and how the church finds itself and participates in the world. Do you think, okay, so I obviously think that the presence of God, as the as the way God works in the world, I think I can I can that can carry the weight yes. of a whole theology. Do you think it seems like I gotta ask you, do you think, do you really think the fivefold gifting, and I think this is what your book is all about, do you think the fivefold gifting can carry that much weight? It really <laughs> drives a whole theology. I think you ask at the end, hey, Trinitarian theologians, you need to ground your understanding of the Trinity in the fivefold gifting. Do you do that? I mean, can it carry this kind of weight? Actually, so uh, um, apart from the Trinity, so let's leave that aside right now. Uh, but but in terms of does it carry the weight of presence? Actually, I think it does. It, it What it does is it gives Marcus Barth, no less than Marcus Barth. I love Marcus Barth. Excellent excellent commentary on Ephesians, the one that really does willingly embrace the fivefold, the one that clearly does. He actually calls Apest the modes of Christ's royal presence in his church. Now, that's a clue. Uh, I love that, by the way. The that's that's a chapter in my book, too. I love it. I'm with you a thousand percent. No, no. And, and here it is in the very 
Uh, and I think he's absolutely right. And by the way, he's not alone in that. In fact, I quote Bonhoeffer and others like that who, who say that, um, in a sense, Christ, the church is the form of Christ in the world. We are the embodiment of Christ in the world. If Christ was fivefold, if all his ministry is contained in the fivefold, he's, and he's actively present in the church through the fivefold, actually it gives, it affirms that presence is important and vital to the church, but it gives a, um, what can we say, some character or personality to that presence. It gives shape to the present. It's the modes of his activity. And actually that forms the basis, David, of the, um, of the, the, the actual, uh, the idea of these fivefold being the marks of the church. So that, hmm. That's uh, distinctive of this book too, is that I would argue now, based on, on this notion that, uh, that fivefold is the, the way that Jesus is being active in his community, then you can actually measure that sucker. You can actually put some sort of metric to it, which is, sounds like heresy, but it's, but it's true. You can actually, you can say that certain things that we do or the church does or doesn't do is apostolic. We can say that, oh, church planting, for instance, would be classically apostolic functionality. The prophetic functions are that which calls us to faithfulness and loyalty and to covenant obligation. We can actually say that certain things the church does are actually prophetic. We can say that certain things are evangelistic or, or pastoral or didactic. And therefore, once you can say that, you can actually observe a way in which the church is actually being faithful to its own um, intended purposes or the marks of the church. So actually this becomes a, this is really where the, the book was aiming at in the, the first place, because I now believe that this, um, you, you can actually get to see to what degree does a church take Jesus' active presence very seriously. You can actually put a metric on it, which is yeah. as weird as it gets, I think is actually at the core of the book. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, this is just a marvelous, this book is a marvelous exploration theologically of territory. Well, I don't think you've covered it heretofore. No, and no, it's been a very deep uh, theological journey. Are you worried? Um, sometimes I get worried that my writing is too theological and yes. it's too conceptual and it's not going to land. Do you think this book can land? I mean, there's a lot of people listening to this right now who are saying, I'm so excited to delve deeper into the theological trajectories that have formed Alan Hirsch and his vision for the church. And, and now I'm willing to dig in. But there's a lot of people who are, might be going, oh my goodness, this is very thick, heavy stuff, conceptual. How is this going to help me in terms of leading my church? Did you have a comment on that? Yes, it's a, it's a good comment. Um, just a bit of um, just a bit of background for me on this, David. Like, so I'm now, I've turned 58. I've, the first time I actually feel you don't, look a, you don't look a day over 42. <laughs> Curious, <laughs> man. It is clearly, you know, I <laughs> <laughs> But uh, uh, all this gray hairs, you can, you can see. Gray hair is good on you. Yeah. So, but it's interesting. Uh, so I'm in legacy mode. And one of the things that God challenged me on um, in 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 uh, in in a legacy mode is that I, I have to now bequeath. I feel that my primary identity, uh, vocationally, is a, is a custodian of things that don't belong to me. I think they belong to the church. Yes, I've been being become a custodian for these things, and I have to pass them on. And I've always felt that way about myself. I feel like I'm a steward of of things that have been given to me to 
pass on, which actually already belonged to the church. Forgotten Ways is a classic example of that. Now, the thing is that I do believe that in this book, uh, this is my most theological, distinctly theological of books. In other words, the first half um, really grounds, and it goes deeper into theology than I've ever done in any of the other books. So it's very, very resonant with scripture and and of ideas uh, within the kind of history of the church. So I want to articulate these ideas within the love language, which is theology of the church. Theology is our love language. It's what gives us resonance. It gives, um, it authorizes what we do. Uh, And so I want to feel the biblical resonance. Uh, I want the reader to feel it. And so I've tried very hard in the beginning to kind of ground it in, in good theology. The second half of the book really heads at being very, very practical. So I want to move, the, the idea behind being a custodian is moving from paradigm to practice, uh, taking ideas out of the idea sphere that are, seem to be very theoretical and, and uh, for, for a lot of people uh, a little geeky and, and out of touch. I want to ground them in ways that affect our practices in the life of the church. So the second half is as heads towards a praxis that looks at the theology of the body and how the body is the embodiment of, of, uh, of discipleship practices built around fivefold. We look at the marks of the church, that these are the things that you can actually cultivate. They're copious lists of functions. How do we identify and discern what functions are to what, what are the apist functions and how can we identify them and, and put names to the things we do? so that we can begin to attend to them. So, uh, and then it, it ends up with a whole lot of tools and resources and tests and, re, you know, assessments that are very, very practical. But you've got to get through the first half to get the practical. Because yeah. I want to do both theory and practice. So, yes. Yeah. And, I, and I always, I put it like this. you got to have the description before you can have the prescription. Yes. You know, you got to understand the fullness of the imagination and of what God's doing in the world and who he yeah. is before you can figure out what you're called to do, how you're called to respond. So the book. And the other thing, by the way, on that is because most of us do, because we're very unarticulate in terms of the fivefold and we overload the shepherd and the teacher with all functions that the Bible doesn't. So we, we lack it. We lack clarity on these issues. And if you, if you don't have clarity in terms of these things, then we, we bring guesswork to it or, or pure pragmatism to these things and, the word apostolic is being used now, but sometimes it's not used in the way the Bible uses it. In fact, I think it's often not used that way. And so it's yeah. really important for us to go back to Scripture to find what God intended with theologos, with these words that are really important for us yeah. to discover their biblical resonance and then apply them in ways that are correct and more nuanced with the, with the Bible. Well, it's been great uh, to be talking to you about all this stuff. It's been inspiring. And uh, I think the book offers a, a, just a new opportunity to get, dig deeper and wider and more fuller into the ways of God and the apest, and, and, and they're, thereby helping our church to go into a deeper understanding and practice of APEST and who we are as called to be the church. So congratulations on a great job uh, writing this book. And uh, we hope much and pray for much fruit to come from your ministry in this. It's been great to be with you, um, Alan Hirsch. And um, theology, we, we've gone a little bit long today, but I know you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. Everybody's enjoyed it out there. Uh, we, uh, 
that's all the time we have for Theology on Mission um, podcast. Hopefully, Holzclaw will be back from wherever he is uh, next week. We hope you join us. We hope you give us a, uh, what, a plug on, what does Holzclaw always say? He says, uh, write us a review on iTunes or something. I don't even know. But anyway, (laughs) God bless you. God bless us. It's over and out from Northern Seminary. Until next time, bye-bye now.